Hi, and welcome to our podcast. I'm your host, Howard Drew Karsh. I've been a successful realtor in Canada's largest market, Toronto, for over 30 years. And in the latter part of my career, I co-founded Canada's largest independent brokerage, Right at Home Realty, with a roster of over 5,600 agents and growing. In 2020, I retired and started this podcast, and it's given me the opportunity to speak with a wide range of successful and interesting guests in, in real estate and in associated fields about their careers and get their insight into our business. And today's guest is really one of the ultimate people in real estate. I'm going to read his bio, um, and then I'll introduce him. So... Um, our guest today has written over 50 books and reports, and some of you will probably know by the time I get to the end of the bio who it is. Um, and it, his, his expertise is in analyzing residential real estate. Um, he's recognized as one of the leading visionaries um, and has, has books. Uh, his books have been featured 15 bestseller lists, including New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Amazon. He really defines the influence and power in the industry, and, and that relates to one of the things that he's done. At that point, you'll know who I'm talking about. Um, he's been the annual scorekeeper and editor for the SP200, and that's the official ranking of the most powerful people in residential real estate brokerages. My guest is Stefan Swanepoel. He serves as chairman and CEO of T360 Group, who are advisors and transformation partners to over 65% of the largest brokerages, franchisors, technology companies, realtor associations, and MLS organizations through one of their companies. One is T360, a full-service management group, T3 Data, a data and analytics company, T3 M&A, a company specializing in mergers and acquisitions, T3 Talent, an executive search agency, and T3 Events Group, a full-service event company. And along with all that, Stefan is just a really good guy. So thank you for joining us from the great state of Hawaii. Thank you, Stefan. Howard, good morning where I am, good afternoon where you are, and probably good something else wherever the people are that are listening to your call. Thank you for the invite. I appreciate it very much. Oh, it's really nice to see you again. We met a few years ago in, uh, at NAR in San Diego, and I think once or twice since then in Toronto. But uh, it's been, like everybody, it's been years. Um, and before we got on the podcast, I was asking Stefan about, you know, working remotely. And I thought that was really interesting about how you've created something. Uh, I mean, the quality of your of your um, uh, your video and your sound is perfect. So why don't we talk about what you've got going on in your your little uh, comfortable place in Hawaii? <laughs> Yeah, I didn't do this to make anybody jealous at all, but it has been a long-term goal of mine uh, since 1995 that my wife and I wanted to have a holiday home and one day retire in Hawaii. That was that was the goal and intent, and we have uh, visited the beautiful islands of Hawaii, oof, I don't know, uh, 20 or 30 times, many, many, many times, and we had over the years uh, decided that we loved the island of Kauai. Uh, specifically the North Shore of Kauai. And so many years ago, about a decade or so, we, we bought a, a piece of land. Uh, we designed a house. And uh, as, as luck would have it, the, the gods were very kind. We, we finished the house, which took a long time because uh, construction on an island is a little slower than what you would like mm -hmm. in a big city. You have to you know, transfer a lot of the materials across. And sometimes those, those transfer materials take <laughs> three to six months to get one item across. Wow. But but be it as it may, um, we were called uh, by the contractor, which we had hired to do the work for us. Um, the week before COVID was announced. 
Uh, And I mean, of course, we did not know that COVID was going to be as serious as it turned out to be. Uh And uh, we decided to quickly pop across and come and take ownership of the house, get the keys. And uh, we had already acquired some furniture and moved some furniture from our houses in the mainland. And they were in storage. So we were actually able to move the furniture in, you know, just overnight because it was already standing by. And uh, we were just in the house, maybe, maybe a week. When, when one of my partners, uh, Jack Miller, uh, the president of our company, called and said, Stefan, you know, where are you? What are you doing? Did you hear about COVID? I said, yeah, I've heard about COVID. What do you think? And he says, you know, I think it's going to be serious. Why don't we, why don't we show an example to the industry, be one of the companies to close our offices first? And I said, okay, I like that being first. I like being an example. How long do you think we should close it? He says, I don't know. Let's play it by ear, but let's, you know, a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two. So I said, right, in that case, I'm just going to stay here in Hawaii until uh, we decide to open back up. Mm-hmm. Well, that was 19, 20 months ago. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's been interesting for, for us doing the podcast. Uh, you know, the people I interview like you are very busy. And, and because of the same thing, I mean, COVID's horrible and it's been terrible. Different companies have benefited. For us, what it's done is allowed us to do interviews with people who normally without Zoom might not have been as comfortable and uh, mm-hmm. just like you and I are doing it today. And, uh, and so that, that's been something that's helped our, you know, our, our podcast. But um, overall, I mean, there's something else I want to bring up because, uh, you know, I know, I know Stefan fairly well. So, of course, like anybody, you see a guy sitting in Hawaii with a Hawaii shirt. You figure he must be retired. So just repeat what an average day is for you so people don't <laughs> turn away thinking, oh, he's just retired. Uh, no, no, no. I think you told me earlier on in this introduction that you retired and there you're sitting in a suit and a tie. <laughs> Good point. Uh, no, I, I still have a very full day. I probably average uh, uh, between 50 to 60 hours a week. So probably somewhere in the ballpark of 10 to 12 hours a day. Uh, the majority of that, of course, is, is significantly uh, influenced by Zoom, meetings with staff, meetings with clients. Um, we still do an enormous amount of writing. T360 is well known for things like the Trends Report, the Danger Report, the SP200, the Real Estate Almanac, the Mega 1000. So, so um, in all that book writing, a lot of that can be done when, when the time zones maybe don't quite work out because... You're at three o'clock in the afternoon at the moment, and I am, you know, at nine o'clock in the morning. So, so time differences allow me to do lots of calls from very early in the morning till maybe around about midday. Mm-hmm. And then I tend to go more into the writing of proposals or the editing of proposals, the writing of, of chapters, the editing of chapters. But no, uh, it's, it's beautiful to be in paradise, but T360... Uh, I mean, we have a fairly large complement of, you know, over 25 uh, consultants and managers and people that work full time on oof, over 150, 160 different clients. And although I don't work on the day to day with every one of those clients, I am fully aware of every client we have at the moment. And I still review all the contracts and all the deliverables. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, a day is not surfing. A day is uh, surfing the web, sitting in front of the Zoom and talking to important, influential people like you. Well, that's uh, very kind. And, and it's nice to have important, influential people like you on as well. So for those that don't know you, I think anybody in the real estate industry does know you. But sometimes our viewers aren't always in the real estate industry. What, what's the derivation of T360? What does it mean? How did you come up with the name? Uh, uh Before I started T360, I was uh, the president of a large national franchise. 
uh, I was responsible for, for 26,000 agents and a, a, about, about a, a tenth as many offices, so about 2,400, 2,500 offices. And in that role, I was frequently as a leader and executive manager looking for uh, data points, information, facts, verifications. Uh, you would read what you hear on the news and then you would say, well, this doesn't feel right or it feels light or can somebody verify this? Or I want a deeper dive. I want something that's been analyzed. And as a leader of a big company like that, I struggle to find that. Hmm. There are, of course, a, a few sources. From time to time, NAR publishes uh, you know, interesting reports. Uh, uh, Stephen Murray from Real Trends at that time back uh, did a report or two. Risk Media would from time to time do a report. But generally speaking, the industry was, was void of in-depth quality analysis and research. And, and I hungered for that. So when I decided to, to leave a Realogy, which was in Parsippany, New Jersey at the time, my wife did not like the weather. We were there for about a year. And she said, Stefan, I don't like New Jersey weather. Take me to somewhere where the sun shines. Mm. So, so we moved to California. And in that move to California, I decided to start my own business. So the first work I actually did was to try and do the research. And I wrote a book at that time. This is 19... Uh, in 97, 19, 1997, 98, and I wrote a book called Real Estate Confronts Reality. And that was born out of the frustration that it felt to me at the time. Uh, and the book is, is although it's, you know, it's, it was printed, what, 25 years ago. Um, if you read it, which I still do once a year to, to, to try and ground what I do, you realize that a lot of the trends we have today, whether that is the internet, broadband, video, um, mobile phones, uh, platforms, the internet, any of those technology uh, <clears throat> initiatives, platforms, growth, which today has caused is the result of public companies. Um, most of that started somewhere around about 95, 96 in, in real estate as a rule. By 97, 98, to some people, I'm guessing to people like you and to people like me, it was becoming evident that the industry was changing. It was becoming evident that that technology was going to play an enormous role. Yet before the turn of the century, less than a third of all realtors had mobile phones. So it's not to say that it was obvious because two thirds of all realtors did not even have a mobile phone in 1998. Mm -hmm. so, so when we looked at it, we wrote this book, Confronting Reality, trying to give the industry a wake up call. And I remember I tried very hard to get a publisher and many publishers turned me down and said, Oh, realtors don't care about the future. Uh, brokers don't actually read and write and think. Uh, they, don't, they don't care or do strategic plans. And I said, I think they do. And if they don't, they better have to learn to do that pretty quickly because it's going to become a difficult competition. So we wrote this book to try and give the industry a wake-up call. And it, it went to the top of Amazon in the real estate section. And that proved to me that realtors uh, do care that brokers do read <laughs> and that they do actually want the stuff. And from that was born a company called RealShore, uh, which uh, I ran mainly a, a research, writing, public speaking. And then about uh, 10 years later, 12 years later, it felt to me that the industry was begging for management consulting, advice, guidance, a, a colleague, a sounding board, somebody you could talk to who would be objective, neutral, balanced, outside partner, SEAL Team 6. So uh, we converted RealSure to T3. And at the time, T3 was an acronym for three Ts. And it was uh, trends, technology, and transformation. Hmm. 
And, and that was the words that we used. I wanted to move away from my own name. I didn't want a company that was all about me. So I was looking for something that I knew over time would be acronized, down, 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 down. So I said, let's start at the acronym and then I'll work up and then we'll gradually get back to the acronym. Oh, interesting. Really. And, and I, you know, even though I know you, I never asked that question. So thanks for being on today. All right. Let's talk about Stefan today, because that's the whole purpose of having you here. So people can learn more about you than they, they may know. Um, I always like to ask this question of people like yourself. Were there, were there entrepreneurs in your family? Uh, for example, what did your dad do? Um, you, know, you know, I don't think there were entrepreneurs as best of to my knowledge. Maybe if you go back, you know, a generation or two to parents that I maybe did not know. I have heard secondhand that there was maybe a, a great grandfather that, that did own a shop or so. But, but my, my parents and the grandparents, which I knew, were not entrepreneurs. Uh, my father was basically a, a government service uh, official. He worked in exports and imports for, for the government and um, then transferred into the diplomatic corps, still working for the government, and uh, was appointed by Queen Elizabeth at the time in the mid-50s to become the, the, the consul general in Nairobi, uh, in Kenya, in the middle of Africa, as a diplomat to represent countries from the British Commonwealth in the improvement of exports and imports around the Commonwealth countries. And he served in that role for eight years when the country became autonomous, uh, got its freedom from England in 62, uh, uh, and became an autonomous country. Uh, we left, I was born there during his, his tenure there. Uh, I sort of started kindergarten, elementary school there. And then he moved to Hong Kong where he was stationed for six years. And I, I finished my elementary school there. And then he got moved to South Africa, where I finished my middle school and high school. Um, so we had moved around. I'd like to say that I, I basically did school almost in three, three countries, which was true, or, or three continents uh, for most of my life. Very interesting. Interesting, uh, you know, start to, to your life. Uh, obviously, you're, you're so deep into real estate. The question that uh, I have to ask is, what about before real estate? What did you do? <laughs> before real estate? Yeah. <laughs> That was so long ago, Howard. We're going to have to reveal here our ages if you go on like that. Okay, well, let's uh, move on. We're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, we should not do that. Uh, yes, of course, there was a life before real estate, but but not not a long one, a very short one. I I studied in South Africa uh, in um, what we call in the English-speaking countries a quantity surveying. It's a five-year bachelor's degree, which is a sort of an engineering project management financial course. It's a, a bachelor's of science. Uh, and then I went on to become a professional appraiser. I did another two years post uh, degree to become a professional appraiser. So I was a, a, a quantity surveyor, project manager on big commercial buildings. And I also did appraisals uh, for uh, the determination of value for eminent domains on big, big uh, uh, properties that the, the government would, would place or take for certain reasons. And I was busy doing that. Um, only two years after I had graduated. So I had I was at university for five years, graduated after that. So I was in a fairly early stage of my career when uh, I got an opportunity to jump into the real estate industry. Uh, the National Association of Realtors, um, uh, sister organization in South Africa at the time, uh, was looking for a chief executive officer. And uh, I was reading a financial magazine one day and there was this advertisement we're looking for a CEO for the National Association of Realtors. And I said, I wonder what a realtor is. I'm not even quite sure what a realtor is. 
uh, because I was at the moment uh, not in my own house yet. I was still renting a home. And it said, um, change legislation, meet the president of the country, tour abroad, go to conventions, speak at conventions, write books. And that sounded so, so enticing. And I thought, well, as an engineer, project manager, appraiser, I'm not going to do any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't apply for the job, but a, a friend of mine threw my hat in the ring, <laughs> unbeknownst to me. I was invited to an interview, took nine months. There were 200 and something odd candidates which applied for the job. Uh, I went through nine months of interviews, but I got the job at the very, very young age of 26. Wow, that's quite a start. Um, so I, you know, I entered the industry as, as a, a, a association executive and uh, absolutely fell in love with realtors and the real estate world, and I've never left it. So although I didn't start as a, as a, a realtor that lost their job from another career, I actually got into real estate at 26, very young. Well, I mean, it's, you know, your background and, and what you do is, uh, you know, you have such a huge career. Um, let's move on to something that most agents know about most brokers know about. Uh, everybody wants to be in it. <laughs> and and I mean, I have to flatter myself. One year I was in it, so that was very nice. Although my friend Phil Soper was above me, so that's, that's another story. Um, it, it's, what I like about what you do with the, with the Swanepoel uh, uh, 200 is the way you determine who goes in there. And I don't know if everybody knows how that comes about because it's not, um, well, you talk about it. You talk about how you decide who gets in there. I was busy, uh, very happy writing the annual uh, Swanepoel Trends Report, which we still do. And I think we've done it now for uh, close to 20 years. And I had received a a ton, really a a lot. I mean, I'm talking about hundreds of, of emails from the industry saying that the one or two lists which were out there at the time were more a kind of a, how do I put it, uh, uh, sponsored friends and family, casual people on the list, uh, I know who you are list. And, and there were many of those lists, if you look at them at the time, where it didn't make sense because some people would be on the list and other executives that had achieved significantly more on the list were not, were not there, they were absent. And people had asked me if I would create a list. And I, and I said, well, how do I prevent creating a list which is the same? So I didn't want to create a duplicate. So we actually took uh, the better part of four years to try and determine how do you determine a list that is at least in its majority, in its primary evaluation, fair or just or objective or critical or analysis. And we came up with a bunch of criteria. I, I am sure like any criteria, it is subjective but we use uh, three levels. Uh, The first level is that usually your company has to do at least a billion in sales. If you're a technology company, you know, you have to have at least a certain number of clients. If you're an association on a, on a state level, you have to have at least 75,000 members or more. Uh, uh, if you're on a, on a local level, we usually look at 25,000 or more. If you're a brokerage company, if you're a national franchise, we're looking you know, at, at 25,000, 50,000 and more. If you're a, a brokerage company, we'd like to see you do at least a billion in sales. If you're a tech company, we try and look at your revenue and say, you know, are you at least a 10 or $20 million company? So we try and have a, a kind of a, as a cutoff. We also say that in our industry, we should not, um, evaluate only one sector. So we try and evaluate all sectors. So we look at association leaders, MLS leaders, 
uh, trainers, educators, coaches, tech companies, franchise leaders, independent companies, uh, public companies, private companies, uh, family companies. So we try to include everybody in the list. And although I know it's impossible to compare one executive that's got a 40-year span with somebody who's got a 10-year span, one who's got a technology company, somebody who's just gone public, somebody who's inherited the business from their family. We use that criteria to create a kind of a, an initial pile. And that initial pile usually every year is in the, in the ballpark of about two to 3,000 names. Wow. So we, we don't really work on nominations. You can't say, well, I want to be on the list. <laughs> mm. um, if you're lower than a senior vice president in a company, usually we will say we have too many of those already. I mean, just VPs in our industry, I think there's 10,000. So it's just, there's just too many. It's not that you're not important. It's just there are people that have probably achieved more than you have. And so we, we then evaluate the people in their respective buckets. So we compare the association leaders with association leaders. Well, Braden, the media people with John Featherston, right? So we look at the media people. Then we look at the association people, both national, state. We look at Canada. We look at the U.S., and then within those buckets, and then we start collapsing those buckets and trying to merge them together. Then we create, that takes a good three months. And then we create a, 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 a 300, 400 working list at around about November every year. And then we pull in uh, the, the T3 team, the senior people, uh, people like me and, and, and Jack and, and, and Dean and, and uh, Travis and those, those all have between 20 to 40 years of industry experience. We bring them all in a room. We put them on a, on, a, on a big table. We give everybody a little card with your name, your turnover, your volume, how old you are, how many years you've been in the industry, which company you're working for, your previous career, what you did before, what your ranking was last year, what your achievements of the last 12 months are. So we try and put just a, the nuggets to help remind you because it's hard to remember everybody's stats. Then we bring in two or three of our staff, put the computers on. We have a big database of all the executives in the industry. And then we'd start looking at a name. And if, if if you were in the room, we don't allow you to be nominated to be in the room. So if you're ever nominated, you cannot be in the room. So the room is only T3 staff. And then we would debate. No, I don't take last year's number one, you know, Rich Barton. And I would say, is there anybody that believes that Rich Barton should not be number one or should be number two or should somebody else be number one? Somebody would say, well, what about Gary Keller? What about Ryan Schneider? What about Ryan Gorman? What about Phil Soper, right? And if you recommend somebody, you then get 30 seconds to try and argue and debate and tell me why. That person should be higher than the person that is currently in the position that you're recommending. And you can't tell me he's CEO of Bridgemark or he's CEO of Zillow. I already know that. You can't tell me the obvious. Mm -hmm. You've got to give me a compelling reason why you think he has done something in the last year. He's bought companies. He's gone public. He's raised money. He did an acquisition. What? Give me the motivation. And then we'll debate it. And then while we're doing that, we ask the, the staff members in the room, which are in front of the computers, to go verify that information. So somebody says, oh, well, he just bought XYZ company. We'll say, uh, really? Did that deal close? I thought that was just a pending deal. All right, go check it, somebody. And then if we can't verify it on the web, we'll actually pick up the phone and call that person and say, we're busy with the SP 200. I can't tell you what we're doing, but I'm looking at something. We have a piece of information which we don't seem to be able to verify. Then we will debate that. That argument or that debate or that discussion runs over two days and takes about 12 hours. Wow. Just, just that interaction. Then we create what we would call draft two. Then we put that list down. We come down to about 250. And then we put it down and we let it simmer for a week to see if, if we, if anything, if anything, did we, were we caught up in the heat of the moment? Mm -hmm. And then we come back, we look at the list and then we ask two people to go and verify everybody's title, spelling, correction, volume, turnover, sales to see if everything is accurate. 
and then and then I will come back a fourth and final time the week before Christmas. And we will say, has anything changed? One final double check. And what I think is so unique about it is that it isn't um, influenced by the candidates. That, that I mm -hmm. think, is what people may not understand. It, it, it has nothing to do with they want to be on the list. I mean, everybody, everybody wants to be on the list, and everybody on the list wants to be number one. So, you know, that's how that goes. But the fact that you put so much due diligence into it gives it the credibility that it does have. Uh, and now I'm if even... you were on the list, Howard, as you were one year, and you mentioned Phil Soper right. and, and many other executives, we, I, T3, the T3 team, truly, honestly, objectively believe in our heart that you have done something that is meaningful, substantial, and that you've earned your spot that year. We will absolutely give you our promise. We will not be bored or influenced because somebody likes somebody or somebody wants to be on the list. That will not be the case. And we will go out of our way to consider anybody, any, any company, any franchise, any state, any skin color. It does not matter. If you're in our industry and we think that you made a difference, you had an impact, mm -hmm. we will try and take that into consideration as thoroughly as we can. And I'm really glad we spent some time on that because everybody knows about the SB 200, but they don't know how it, its derivation, how it comes about. And I think, you know, we try to give value when we do these podcasts. I mean, it's also, I mean, for me, it's fun because I'm dealing with, you know, talking to people I know, but it's also giving value and explaining things that people may not have sat down to, to you know, know about. So I know that's a big part of our industry. Um, now, in terms of the company, um, you've done a lot of projects, but what, what would you say are your top two largest projects that, uh, that uh, T360 has done over the years? Well, uh, largest is going to be hard uh, because we have, we have a brokerage division, we have a MLS, an association division, we have a tech division, we have an M&A division, we have a talent division. So, I mean, goodness, uh, we have many divisions, but if I quickly try and think through uh, maybe not not biggest two, Howard, if you would excuse me, maybe uh, just some of the big ones I can think of. Sure. Um, we've helped two companies expand from a regional presence to a national presence by helping both of them hire more than 40 executives, not, not agents, not, not brokers, mm -hmm. not, not getting agents. We've helped them build their a senior executive team, each with 40 people hmm. nationwide so that they would have the SVPs and the VPs and the regional VPs in place and structure to grow the company. Hmm. Um, we've helped another company um, structure their company, become profitable, and was able to help the owner sell their company for tens of millions. So that's eight figures. Uh, in which they could they could uh, maximize the value of their company. Uh, we have gone to associations and MLSs, um, big ones, ones which have uh, 10, 15, 20, 30,000 members, and we have completely replaced their entire legacy system, their technology, their platform completely and revamp it and help them with a smooth transition from whatever they were doing to whatever it, the goal was for a new one. And then maybe a last one I can think of, We've assisted a company in, in helping them with their business plan, wrote significant chunks of it, helped management and leadership from being a company with, with less than 100 people to a company that, that uh, went IPO and is today worth uh, um, multiple billions. 
Um, so they've grown from from you know under 100 to to over 40,000. So so many uh, brokerages, franchises. We've helped a company expand to another continent uh, and settle up uh, a a sat, not a satellite office, but but enter another continent and and form a partnership and a relationship. So very diverse, very mm-hmm. diverse. Now, well, that makes sense because you have so many different divisions that that operate. Um, now, this question I ask you know for everybody because it it has a huge effect on everybody. Um, the pandemic. We talked a bit about it, but but what were the? And I know you know I've met Jack Miller, and I, I you know I I give him a lot of credit for trying to you know stick handle. <laughs> I mean, the first thing was yes, let's let's keep our people safe, and then stick handle a business through the pandemic, which hasn't happened in a hundred years. That's a real challenge. So, um, what what do you think was uh, the the biggest thing that you you did um, to? keep the company going and I'm sure growing during this incredible upheaval in all businesses? Uh, the pandemic most certainly uh, a, a tragic a tragic event in, in many, many people's lives and, and um, um, has impacted many people in a different way. Uh, I would say there was maybe a two, three month period in which the pandemic was terrible for us too, uh, especially uh, last year. Uh, 2020, maybe um, uh, April, May. Um, I think uh, March, we still powered through with the momentum which we all had in Q1 uh, in January and February. April, I think the reality set in and people were uh, uncertain, uh, scared, feared. uh, And I think a lot of things just, just shut down. Um, fortunately for real estate, around about this summer, you know, uh, June, most of the markets kicked back in and people were looking at, at real estate again. Mm-hmm. What we also noticed, now we don't sell any real estate. We're not a brokerage company in any way whatsoever. We don't hold a brokerage license. Uh, but many of our clients do. We have, we have probably about 160 companies that are clients, of which if you said somebody like a, a Realogy or a Compass or a Keller Williams or a EXP or a Zillow, th- those would just count, you know, one of each, of, each of those would be one, one client, right? Mm-hmm. So we have many very, 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 very large clients. And most of those companies have very smart leadership, very senior forward-thinking, strategic-thinking leadership. And when, when the market hit its lowest point in, I would say, probably May of 2020, most of these leaders were coming to us and said, it's only going to be short-lived. It's only going to be for a period of time. At some stage, it has to turn. If it doesn't turn, we still have to power through it. We still have to do things. We are in a situation where we've never been before. We have some ideas, but could you help us? And we actually found that many of the largest and leading companies actually kicked up their planning stages at that time. And we found that in in the middle of 2020, uh, our work actually started escalating. Hmm. As we were brought in as, again, I I think I used the word before, uh, we like to pride ourselves is that if you have a problem, if you have a challenge, if you have a goal, if you have a desire, then we're the best partner you'll find in real estate. Because you can bring us in, bring the skill in, to do whatever complements or supplements or help you do, because many times either the leaders don't have all the skill in hand, or if they do, that skill is busy with the day-to-day operations making money. So if you wanna do a a secret project or a COVID project or an additional project, or you wanna double in size, or you wanna prepare for the next big thing, then you need an extra team, but you don't want that extra team forever. You need it for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and then you want the team to go away. Mm 
we're that secret team for everybody. We're that weapon which you can use, which is, if not stronger, at the very least, as strong as your team, which will be as loyal as your team and work for you during that time. And many companies did that during COVID. They said, we do not know when it's going to come to an end, but when it comes to an end, we want to be ready to, to go public, to do an acquisition, to do a transaction. We want to hire 40 people. And if you want to hire 40 people, you can't just hire them overnight if you want industry people. These are not accountants. These were, I need a regional vice president of sales that's got at least 10 years or 20 years of brokerage experience and has worked for a corporate company before. Well, there's not many of them floating around. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I think a lot of them uh, brought us on board. We did a lot of stealth work for many companies. And as 2021 just continued strong, um, these projects started rolling out and uh, we're busy. Good. It's great, but we're busy. Well, and I know you're busy, which leads me to my last question. <laughs> okay. Uh, you're, you've been successful <clears throat> in business and it's not the brokerage business, but it's in business per se. If someone were to ask you, um, Stefan, what do I do to succeed in business? Like, what would be your advice? What would you say? Uh, this is my ninth company that I've built up and the ninth one that I am a CEO of. And I would say the recipe for all of them, Howard, is pretty much the same, whether you're in a brokerage or a tech or an association, MLS, um, or even outside our industry uh, or, or any other shape. So probably as I, 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 you, I, not you, but somebody's asked me this question before. So probably I always like to use my fingers. So, so five points. I would say one above all, you need to have a plan. You need to start with a plan. Whether you want to call it a napkin plan or a business plan or a strategic plan or operations plan, if you don't have what I like to refer to as a roadmap, if you don't know where the hell you're going, you're not going to get there. You need a roadmap, right? And the more clear, the more succinct, the more detailed, the better. Mm -hmm. And that would be number two. Make sure that once you create the plan that you take ownership of the plan, that your leadership team, your management team, your partners, your friends, your colleagues around you all know what the hell is on the plan too. It can't just be you and you can say, well, I, I wrote it, I put it in, in draw 13 and I haven't looked at it for five years. It has to be a dynamic living, breathing. It doesn't have to be a document, right? But it is a document, of course, allows you to, to document the process so that you can hold yourself accountable. But you have to have a clear vision of where that, that roadmap and that path is going to. Number two, you have to have focus in what you're trying to do. So many times people, especially in our industry, uh, squirrel. <laughs> they get sidetracked, right? They're busy with one thing and then something, oh, how that's a great idea. Let's do that too. And let's do that too. Focus. If you've created a plan, you've got a roadmap, and you know that I'm driving from San Diego to New York, then, then don't stay for five weeks in Vegas, right? You're on your way to New York. You want to get to New York. I know Vegas is cool, but don't stop in Vegas unless you're just gassing up or eating up. I mean, continue. Stay focused. Fourthly, is use every single asset that you have. Sometimes you might be the single asset, but your partners, your management, your team members, sometimes you're able to raise money. Sometimes you're very good with technology. Sometimes you've got a platform. Sometimes, like your business, which you did, you were relatively new to the market. You were, you were an innovator, right? So take whatever it is that is your asset, your strength, and use it. It's like playing chess. You don't play chess with only your pawns or only a, a knight. You use your knights and your bishops and your rooks and your queens. You use all your pieces for a total attack, right? I mean, you want to get to New York. You want to you win the game, right? The total focus of all the pieces. And then five, don't stop the game halfway. 
I mean, don't drive to New York and then stop in, I don't know, Phoenix or Alabama or Tennessee. If your goal was to go to New York, then you can't use the excuse, oh, well, I'm halfway and I like it where I am now, so I'm not going to do my goal anymore. So if your goal is to get to New York, if your goal is to win the chess game, then play to the end. Don't give up. Don't give up. Great advice. Great advice. Stefan. I didn't know how busy you were till we started to talk. Now I do. So um, I, as, as you know, with our guests, we try to keep it to about a half an hour, but I could go with, we could go for an hour or more, but I'm not going to do that today. Although I'd love to have you come back. So in the language of uh, the island, mahalo. Mahalo. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invite. I appreciate it. And thank you for what you do to all of the people in the industry. Now that you're retired, I thought retired meant I was going to see you in Hawaii. But it seems like you're going to you found a new niche and a new career. I have to thank my producer, Adam Price, who invited me to he built the studio when he was looking for a host. So I got really lucky and uh, I love doing this just as you're happy with what you do. I'm very happy doing this. And, uh, and it's been fun. And, you know, we, we think our, our guests enjoy it as well. So you're one of the happiest, brightest people I know. And, and stay healthy and look forward to talking to you again, Stefan. Thank you and take care, Howard. Good luck, everybody. Thank you. Okay, thanks a lot. We'd like to thank Stefan Swanepoel and we'd like to thank you for joining us today. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please like, comment, and subscribe on your favorite podcast network or on our YouTube channel. And if you'd like to reach us, you can reach us by email at info at rewithhd.com or on our website, rewithhd.com. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you again next time.